Empathy is acknowledging another person's experience or acknowledging their reality. It is not rejecting them. It is not agreeing with them, but it's acknowledging them. You know, it's what Jesus said when he said, go the extra mile. You can't walk a mile in somebody's shoes, but you can walk miles next to them. And so it's journeying with the person and just doing life with them. And that doesn't mean that difficult conversations don't come up. Welcome to the special Friday edition of Jesus is Real Radio, featuring Pastor Daniel Fusco. Each week, we share a conversation between Daniel and a special guest. Today, Pastor Daniel is joined by pastor and author Caleb Kaltenbach. They'll discuss how empathy should be a vital aspect of your interactions with the people in your life. Caleb shares that your willingness to journey with someone and acknowledge their reality is an essential part of what it means to love others. Now, here's Pastor Daniel and Caleb with the Friday edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. I've always told you all that when we have these uh, episodes, one of the things that I get to do that I love about what I get to do is I get to talk to people who I respect, people who I look up to, people who I am kind of floored by who they are and their wisdom. And today's guest is one of those folks because I have long admired Caleb Kaltenbach's ministry. I've read his books and he's got a brand new book out called Messy Truth, How to Foster Community Without Sacrificing Conviction. And if you've never read any of Caleb's books, you'll, right as you jump in, you'll realize that God has uniquely prepared Caleb for doing exactly what he's doing. And I've been super blessed by it. So Caleb, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Dude, it's a blast to be here. Thank you so much for having me, man. So listen, for people who maybe don't know you, tell a little bit about your story because obviously like, and I like to always say like God's kingdom happens in our lives in a context and all of us have different contexts and people sometimes struggle to figure out like, well, how does what I've gone through, what I've experienced, how does God want to use it? And you have a unique story that is is actually, you know, it, it's prepared you. It's, it's the workmanship that God has used so that he can use you the way he's using you right now. So share a little bit about your story, Caleb. Yeah, I am originally from uh, Kansas City, Columbia, Missouri. My parents were actually both professors in Columbia, Missouri, uh, teaching at different universities and schools. And when I was two, they divorced and both went into same-sex relationships. Uh, My dad was in several different relationships, but my mom went into a a 22-year monogamous relationship with a psychologist named Vera. They moved to Kansas City, and I was raised in the LGBTQ community, and they were very, very activist-oriented. They joined the local board of directors for GLAAD, and growing up, I went with them to bars and clubs and campouts and pride parades and house parties and so on and so forth. And I saw how a lot of Christians back in the 80s treated LGBTQ individuals, holding up signs saying, God hates you, throwing water and urine on people in parades or ignoring their young sons who are dying of AIDS. And man, I thought to myself, dude, I never, ever want to become a Christian because if Christians are this bad, I can't imagine how awful Jesus must be. And so that's when I joined a Bible study at the age of 16 to learn how to disprove the Bible. And um, that worked out real well, as you can tell, it's a great plan. Um, 
But I encountered a Jesus that was very, very different. The, the Jesus I met in the Gospels was not like the, the quote-unquote followers on the street corners. And I started studying what the Bible had to say about sexuality and uh, shifted my view uh, just because of what I believe Scripture to say to what I hold today, which is marriage and relationships. And then I had to come out at the age of 16. I had to come out as a Christian to my three gay parents who actually ended up kicking me out of the house for a while, but they let me back in. I moved to Los Angeles uh, after graduating from Bible college, then was preaching in Dallas, Texas for about three and a half years because we've all got to live in purgatory at some point in our lives. And while I was there, um, my mom and dad started uh, moved down there to be closer to our family. They started attending the church I was preaching at. And eventually at the ages of 69, 70, they gave their lives to Christ. And it wasn't because of a philosophical argument. It wasn't because of a theological argument. It was because, in their words, people treated them like people, not like projects. And really, a, a community of people came around them and loved them, um, even though they disagreed uh, with their views and uh, relational decisions. They still uh, believed that, that those things, that that disagreement, those disagreements did not compromise my parents' uh, dignity as human beings. Okay, so now thank you for sharing that. And and this is something that, you know, no matter what the battleground discussion point is, this idea that we can disagree and still love, still honor one another. Can you unpack that? And and really your your new book, Messy Truth, is really about this, right? Mm-hmm. It's about how do we maintain our convictions, but not in a way that you end up like somebody who's throwing urine. I mean, like Jesus never threw urine on anybody. But, no. but people think that that's like, oh, I'm being, I'm being serious about the truth. So, so kind of unpack the messy truth. And, and, and if you've been listening to the podcast, you all know, like, I am a big fan of using slightly ambiguous adjectives for, uh, for truth. So wh- whether it's like my book's crazy happy, Caleb's got the whole, the messy grace, the messy truth thing. And so we, we mean this with, in the most biblical possible way, as opposed to the kind of idea like, oh, well, truth is a messy truth is truth. It's like, no, no. It's like, but the truth, as it's played out in the public square, plays out in a messy way because there's a lot of variables. So unpack some of this for us, Caleb. Oh, dude, totally, man. And and I love uh, what I call intentional ambiguity. Intentional. There's definitely negative ambiguity, but intentional ambiguity because Jesus was intentionally ambiguous at times, many times, as a matter of fact. And he did that on purpose. So uh, first of all, I, I can always tell when somebody hasn't read Messy Grace uh, and now messy truth, because they'll say, well, grace isn't messy. God's grace is the main. God's truth is perfect. It's like, well, no doubt. Of course it is. You know, it's what Psalm 19, Psalm 119 says. OK, but even though we feel like it's messy, we feel when there's a collision between what we believe and what we're struggling with, what we believe, what we see society doing or the decisions our friends or loved ones are making, then we feel tension. And to God, there's no tension. He's outside of time. He's not you know, it doesn't experience the progression of days like you and I do. But for us, we perceive tension because we are stuck in time. We do have sin in our lives. And there is this gravitational pull towards self inside of all of us. And so uh, we we really try to alleviate this tension by either going to the grace side or the truth side, being all about the grace and mercy or all about the principles and the truth. And yet that's unbiblical because Jesus came full of both grace and truth, as, as the Gospel of John says over and over again and illustrates over and over again. And so uh, I kind of carry over some a couple of ideas from messy grace and messy truth, um, where I say that, you know, there's definitely a difference between acceptance and agreement. Uh, we're commanded by God 
to accept everyone. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's Matthew 5, 38 through 48. There's what Paul said in Romans uh, 13, 8 through 10, that loving your neighbor is fulfilling the law. And so we have to do that, but we're not commanded to agree with everybody's opinions, praise God, uh, everybody's political stance, everybody's relational decisions, uh, but we are commanded to love. And a lot of people, you can tell when you're dealing with an extremist or somebody that um, has their identity in a place other than Christ or somebody with deep insecurity because they can't tell the difference between acceptance and agreement. If you disagree in this area of your life, in, of their life, then you are basically toxic, you're abusive, you're pushing them out. And you get that not only from uh, people who are LGBTQ extremists, you get that from conservative extremists too. You get that from even Christian cultural fundamentalists, what I call them. And so a lot of people think, well, that's just something that, you know, progressives do. No, that's something that humans do. Because again, gravitational pull towards self. And so I divide uh, messy truth into three sections, really. There's, you know, convictions about God's word, you know, having compassion for anyone and conversations with everyone. And it's really that middle section where I deal with uh, your question about acceptance, about empathy. And how do you develop that? How do you lead others around you to develop more empathy? Now, share a little bit about that because, like, as I thought about your story, you know, like, it's beautiful because, you know, you have, you have three parents, they're all professors. So, you know, education is a, is, is a deep part of your, uh, of your story. And, and obviously you've, you know, you, you have a PhD and, and, wow. and, and, right? Like, you, you have, uh, well, I have a demon. It sounds like, like possession exorcism. <laughs> so I don't, I, I, my kids went to my uh, graduation. They're like, so you can do surgery now, dad? I'm like, no. <laughs> you can prescribe medicine? No. So you're not really a doctor? No. Thank you for throwing a wet blanket on the day. Thank you, son. Like anyway. I've only been studying for like eight years to do this, but thank <laughs> you so much. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Truth, right? Like you can't do surgery, dad. What good is this, right? What good is that? Uh. But it's, you know, so, so you have this background in education and then obviously like, you know, being raised within, you know, an active, you know, a, a family who, who believes that they're doing what's right and, and mm-hmm. then they're living the right way and they're trying to change people's opinions. And then you join a Bible study to, to disprove the Bible because you've seen all of this, like the, the horrific, most horrific version of Christianity. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you end up coming down to like, Hey, we really need to make sure we work on empathy. So, so talk about how do you define empathy and what is the way that you would encourage us to be able to cultivate empathy in talking to people who maybe our, uh, whether they're faith-based or not faith-based convictions, their lifestyle is running against. Yeah. So there are two, I, I'll give you two of my favorite kind of descriptions of empathy, then I'll tell you how I define empathy. So like Brene Brown, you know, fantastic author, one of my favorite books that she wrote, was one of her first ones, The Gifts of Imperfection, just fantastic book. Mm. Um, she defines empathy by uh, feeling with another person, more or less. I, I love that. Uh, Reggie Joyner from North Point Orange Rethink Conference, you know, he basically says that empathy is the ability to put your own thoughts and feelings on pause long enough to think and feel with another person. Mm. And so for me, the way I, I define empathy is empathy is acknowledging another person's experience or acknowledging their reality. It is not rejecting them. It is not agreeing with them, but is acknowledging them. You know, it's what Jesus said when he said, go the extra mile. It, it, you can't walk a mile in somebody's shoes, but you can walk miles next to them. And so mm-hmm. it's journeying with a person and just doing life with them. 
And that doesn't mean that difficult conversations don't come up. It doesn't mean challenging conversations don't come up, but it means that you are next to them. And when you think about it, God is the most empathetic being in existence. He sent his son to be with us, to have a human experience, to live life with us so he could die for us. He's coming back for us. His name, Emmanuel, even means God with us. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. So I think that there needs to be more of a theology of empathy developed. And I guess there is in the incarnation, but really, honestly, uh, empathy is really displaying and, and, you know, caring for what God did for us. And so when I think about how we can be more empathetic, you know, really what, what it comes down to is getting to know another person. You know, uh, we make, I don't know how many tens of thousands of decisions every single day. I think one time I read in a book, maybe like 35, thousand decisions in one day from putting one foot in front of the other to what we think about to brushing our teeth to what to get for lunch. And our brain is used to making snap decisions and wants everything on automatic pilot when we do things. And that's why it's hard to break habits, so on and so forth. And so when when we get annoyed with someone, when we don't understand somebody, it's easy to go into fight or flight. It's easy to be afraid. It's easy to be indifferent. And it really takes intentionality in our part to say no brain, no mind, no sinful Caleb, no selfish Caleb. I'm going to get to know this person. I'm going to find out what's going on with them. I'm going to get to know these people. I'm going to find out what they believe, what they've been through, their experiences, their their joys, their heartbreaks, their wishes, because then you start to humanize people. I mean, when, when you empathize with somebody, you're humanizing with them. Again, you don't have to agree um, and you're not rejecting them. But you you are respecting the human dignity that they have because everybody is somebody that God created and Jesus died for. Um, and so that's what we need to do, really, a short summary, to be more empathetic is, dude, get over ourselves, get to know people, act like Jesus, bam, mic drop done. So good. So good. Now, that was cheesy. Sorry. No, it's not. It's actually, well, I mean – even if you think it's cheesy, it's still beautiful and it's still what God is inviting us into. But we live in a world today where people are dehumanizing each other almost at a, an increasing rate at this point. Where, oh, and I think with if you add in the impact of kind of algorithmic echo chambers that we get online, you know, people have a tendency like there are people like if you think about like the LG. TVQ plus and the church communities, it's like they are deep echo chambers and they almost never relate. Right. And so like people like when, like I have, you know, friends of mine who are within that community, they're like, well, when all Christians are like, I'm like, well, you know that you're talking about me. Right. Like, and they're just like, yeah, but you're not like that. I'm like, no, no, but that like, I am them like that. I am them. Like you can't say that I'm not because I believe in Jesus and I'm evangelical, you know? And and then on the other side, it's like, Oh, well, everyone's like that. And, and so how do you, how do you recommend that we learn how to rehumanize people where it's almost like the, the communities are so disparaged and, and, and so distinct from one another. So here's, here's what's interesting. You know, I live in the Los Angeles area. You live up in the Northwest I'm sure there's plenty of multi-ethnicity where you're at, and especially within the city, the towns, the areas you're in. Same thing with Los Angeles and all the cities within the larger city. I mean, it's multi-ethnic, but there are some areas that are much more multi-ethnic than others. But here's what I've noticed and what a lot of studies have shown, that just because these areas are uh, multi-ethnic and they're diverse in that way, there's not really a diversity of thinking. There's not a diversity of view. 
there's not a diversity of opinion. Mm. Um, most people believe the same things, even though they look different, which again, I'm glad people that look different are living uh, together and are not judging each other based on that. That That's a huge step forward. And we need to continue to make sure it's a huge step forward. But it's like, not, it's like so many people, we don't want to touch the whole diversity of thought or the diversity of opinion, because now you're getting personal. Mm. Now you're dealing with opinions that my emotional attachments have developed. Now you're dealing with my experiences. And in many cases that, I mean, everything's con- in our lives are connected, but in many cases that is just so private and so uh, very uh, intimate. And so it is extremely easy to just surround yourself with people that you want to see. It's easy to surround yourself with people, you know, that, that believe that way. You just, you can go to whatever news channel that leans your direction and you can go to the news channels and nobody's ever heard of and the weird ones, you know, and the articles and so on and so forth. Um, you can tell people things and present your story and your narrative. You can spin it in such a way so that it, you know, they answer in the way you want them to answer. And so it, it takes a lot of effort to really look at reality. Um, you know, I'm sure you've read this, but Henry Cloud has this fantastic book really based on a lot of the research that he and Dr. John Townsend have done called Integrity. Mm-hmm. And I think that he defines integrity as the courage to meet the demands of reality. No matter what that reality is every single day, you get up and you're going to deal with what the day throws at you. And you're going to deal, you know, in, in a humble but but courageous way. And there are a lot of us, we don't want to face reality. And we don't want a diversity of thought because we, we again, gravitational pull towards self. We feel like we're losing some bit of power, you know, if we have our opinions challenged. So I, I think that really... Again, the advice is get to know and get to become good friends with people who believe differently than you do. No matter if it's political, no matter if it's religious, no matter if it's whatever it is, because even if it's religious, who knows, you might end up helping them to follow Jesus. Now, and I think this is what you're saying is so powerful. And because really within your book, Messy Truth, you also make the case that for there are Christians who hold different theological viewpoints and even, you know, kind of uh, cultural viewpoints. And that seems kind of crazy to people because like, well, we, the Bible says this one way. And so how, how do you believe that we should be able to hold some of these things in tension? I think historically the church has been pretty divisive. It's like, if we don't agree on this thing, then, you know, I'm the first church or the second church and we just keep dividing the thing up. But now in this day and age, people are trying to within the church are trying to find almost a more kind of a broad view of some of these things, but to, to have differing viewpoints in the same leadership team as a church, or, you know, the child, I mean, I think about, you know, your story with your, with your parents, you know, and all of a sudden you come home and you're a Christian, right. And it's like, Oh, like, and then the journey that you went on uh, to, to, you got put out of the house, you're back in the house, you're working on that relationship. Obviously that's, that's not an easy um journey, but it's a necessary one. So, so how does that look to, to be able to create environments that uh, that diversity of thought is more embraced as opposed to being something that's immediately rejected? Well, I mean, first of all, I think we have to be sure of what we believe and we have to be sure of, you know, what are the fundamentals of our beliefs that form our values. Um, A lot of people talk about values. They don't even know what values mean. You know, values are the things that you hold at such a priority that they serve as the filters for all the decisions you make in life. You run them through these values, even 
unconscious, even subconsciously, you run them through these values, whatever your values are. And I, I really, really believe that when it comes to Christians and even churches or ministries creating these types of environments, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your ministry or whatever it is, I think that it, you know, the the more filters we have to run things through, the worse it's going to be. Now, true, you're going to be around people that believe exactly like you, almost exactly like you, which is a little scary, but maybe it's comforting for some people. But when it comes down to it, um, there are a couple of things that I think that serve as the primary values. You know, number one, love God, love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many times did you know, Jesus talked about that. Like I said, Paul talked about in Romans 13, 8 through 10, loving your neighbor. He talked about it in Galatians. If, if, if there's anything that causes us to not love God with everything, to not love our neighbor as ourselves, then that's something that I've got to be wary of. If there's anything that is not that is not going to help me to have a high view of God, or if there's anything that's going to cause me to have a toxic view of Jesus— then that's something I've got to be careful of because love is what it comes down to. I mean, John wrote in first John that God is love, right? He is love. And so I think it comes down to love, especially love God, love people. And so whatever it is that would create a toxic view of God, whatever it is that would cause you to mistreat somebody, uh, whatever that looks like, that has got to be something that we deal with. Other than that, we've got to create room. And again, I'm not saying the other doctrines of theology aren't important. And I know you would say the same thing. But again, we're talking about fellowship with other Christians. We're talking about friendships. We're not talking about making leadership decisions about a church mission statement. We're not talking about the Council of Nicaea here. We're talking about friendships. And I think a lot of people cannot distinguish in their head between some of the instructions that Paul wrote to churches versus the instructions that he wrote to individuals. And you have a lot of people applying verses that Paul, where Paul wrote to churches, and they're applying that to their friendships, you know? And it's kind of like, well, wait, 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 no, 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 no. That's it. Stop it. That's just what I want to say sometimes. Even to myself, I just want to say, stop it. That's what I think. Yeah, it's it's and it's it's important because what we have right now, I think, is in society is that people don't know how to be friends with people who who they don't agree with. And I love that idea that it's like we have to know what we believe because I almost feel like it's it's the fragility of our understanding of what what the most important things are that make us the most. It's like we become the most insecure about our beliefs uh, when we really don't understand them, or and when we are overly focused on ourselves. I mean, how much did Paul and Peter and and Jesus talk about place others before yourselves? Think of other people first. But whenever I think about myself before love God and love people first, I'm always going to have a distorted view of God, a distorted view of life. And thus, I'll have a distorted view of individuals. Jesus is In a world where people are increasingly at odds with each other, your ability to talk with those who don't agree with you is so very important. So how do you do this? Well, Pastor Daniel and Caleb finished up today by discussing how knowing what you believe will free you up to have honest, grace-filled conversations with people who think differently than you. 
And it all starts with being securely rooted in the truth of God's Word. We'll have a preview of next week's episode in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the Crazy Happy Podcast with Pastor Daniel Fusco and author and journalist Billy Hallowell. Each week you'll hear discussion on important topics that affect your life now. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and get notified each time we post a new edition of the show. For more information, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com. Now, here's Josh. We hope that you'll come back next Friday when Pastor Daniel and Caleb continue their conversation about the tension you feel between truth and grace in your everyday life. Caleb will share that love is that tension. God calls you to love Him and love others. That's where the rubber meets the road in your journey with the Lord. Pastor Daniel and Caleb will talk more about how you walk this out every day. Well, that's all the time we have for this special Friday edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. For more information, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com. Today's broadcast was produced from the Crazy Happy Podcast with Pastor Daniel Fusco. Be sure to subscribe to the Crazy Happy Podcast today. And be sure to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.